Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. I was recently invited to join the Parthenon Podcast Network, and I'm pleased to announce that History of North America is the newest addition to the Parthenon family, a proud member of the Salem Web Network. Parthenon is a podcast group featuring thought-provoking, entertaining shows about history that's excited to play a part in adding more inspiration to your life. Parthenon is the premier network for shows about history that make listeners examine the story of humanity on a much deeper level by connecting the stories of the past with the most important issues of the present. Let's sample a taste of what this eclectic collection of podcasts has to offer with an episode of the Eyewitness History Podcast hosted by Josh Cohen on military tunneling during the Vietnam War. I'm curious of the mindset when you're tunneling, right? And I'm curious about what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what it's like to be in the tunnel knowing there could be quite literally anything on the other side. Could you maybe yeah. go in, obviously we talked about the lack of fear, could you maybe go into some of the, I suppose, psychological preparation you have to have before going into one of these tunnels? It's the fear. Here's what I was taught in training. I was taught to hear with my eyes and see with my ears, which is real. You go in that tunnel, it's dark. You got to see with your ears. If you can't hear anything, you got to, you know, it goes back and forth. And that's what I was. And I still say that all the time. Even when I taught my kids when they were young, I said, you want to hear with your, hear with your eyes and see with your ears because your ears can tell you more than your eyes can. And that's the way I was in the tunnels because it was dark. So I could hear click. I could hear anything. I mean, I ran into snakes. I ran into scorpions, but I just took them away out and got out of the way. But going in the tunnels, we were taught, because a lot of the tunnels had through, and you got down there, you drop down about four or five feet, and you go in. There was all usually about three different tunnels. Some were dry, some were wet. I never took the wet one because that's the one they can drown you in because they would flood it if they knew you were there. The dry one and the hard one is the ones they use. The ones that was half and half, still, that's where more traps. You want to go where they're not. And that's what saved my life. And I had a real good trainer. He's the one that trained me. The little things like that trained me. And, and like I said, I spent a day and a half, really, one. I said, I waited. I waited because I knew where they're going to bring them, and they knew it. And I said, well, I guess this is where I sleep. And for the almost eight weeks, I never took a bath. I always rubbed mud, leaves, and everything on me before I went in the tunnel because them bastards, them guys could smell you. And, really? and I never ate, yeah, I never ate any other food but their food. And I fish all the time, and I won't even touch fish anymore. When I came home, I said I'd never touch fish again. It just made me sick. But I had to be them because those guys can smell you and hear you and see you, you know. And I came close a couple times. I still don't know how I'm here, but I came very close. But it wasn't for the training, knowing after I hit, after the second week, I could feel the tunnels. I could feel it. And some of the guys that are watching this, when they see it, that were called sappers and tunnel rats, they were just told to go down in there. And that's why our tunnel rat rating was 3%. That's how lucky they were. 3% was your, that was it. And just, I apologize to jump in, but just for our, our audience, when you say the tunnel rat was 3%, what does that mean exactly? In other words, their life expectancy was 3%. Ah. That's what it was. And it was, it was, there was no joke. A lot of them going and came out crying, couldn't take it. And I don't blame the guys. Yeah. But I was lucky for what I did when I was a kid. It stuck in my mind. This is fun. This is freaking fun. And that's <laughs> what I thought. You know, and martial arts made me think, keep my body, keep everything, especially Tai Chi Kwan. Okay. That taught me a lot. 
because when I was young, everybody kept picking on me. When I was in seventh grade, I got tired of it. The biggest guy picking on me. I took him down. He became my best buddy. He was my bodyguard. I mean, you know, that's just, you know, and I never used it. Yeah. I, I've never had to really, well, not really. I've never really had, and I, thank God, knock on wood, I never had to use it because right. I could really hurt somebody. And I did over there. I took out, like I said, <laughs> I took out over 60 and some were by hand. Most of it was by knife and hand because I had to be very quiet. You know, Nick, I've had the honor of interviewing a lot of veterans that served in Iraq, Vietnam, World War II. Yeah. I like to think I've developed a bit of a radar for what questions not to ask, right? You but ask whatever you want. Would that be okay? Uh, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, because I'm extremely curious to know what your closest call might have been. The closest call was when, when we were up in, what was that little town called? Ahue, H-U-E. We were up there because I had to meet the Marines to get my next orders and stuff because I would meet them. They were meeting us there to get my stuff I needed. And Hawaii was the one where I thought I was done. I mean, I thought it was over with because when I got in there, I got inside the tunnel. I went down I went down about five feet down. And then I went in, I'd say probably about 100 yards. And I kept hearing something. That's what attracted me to go to it. And I followed the path, which I was lucky. If I'd taken the other one, I'd have been dead in a second because they had a trap set up. And I had my bamboo pole, which I should have brought. I, I apologize. I kept that pole. I brought it home that I could hear the snap. And I know where the traps were. See, wow. this little Filipino guy taught me well. This guy was good. And I owe that guy my life. But that's where it really, when I got in there, I thought, oh, I'm not getting out of here. Because I can hear a bunch of them. I'm thinking, I'm done. There's no freaking way I'm going to get it. Because they're going to come the same path I am. And I have no way out. And it was mostly, I'd say, 80% dark. But I could still hear and see a little bit of the light. I was following the light. So I'd hug against the wall. I only had that tunnel up and away was probably, I would say, three feet by three if I'm lucky. And I was crawling. And sometimes I'd crawl on my back because I didn't know what their spiders or traps above me because that's where they hung the snakes. Those green viper snakes would kill you when they bit you. Five seconds later, you're dead. And I used to take a lot of them out. But I crawled a lot on my back, and then I crawled on the side. And then all of a sudden, I saw them. And I thought, oh, I'm done. This I'm over with. There's no way I'm going to get out of here in time. Well. When those guys, I don't know what happened, but something got called. I don't know what it was. And they darted out of there. They darted out. I'm thinking, oh, oh, there is a God. The old man's watching my back. So I went in there. And that's when I found a lot of stuff that we needed that for details for the DI agents. For the, the, but when I got in there, there was one guy sitting in the corner. He didn't see me. I still walked in very quietly. So I, I had my 38 with my silencer on it. And we, he got up. He was no more than four feet in front of me. I just took him out. I mean, I'll just tell you, I shot him in the head. I took him out and I dragged him, tucked him under where they wouldn't know where he was. I grabbed some of the stuff that they had. They had a lot of maps and stuff. And that's what's in there, all their maps. And, and, and they, they had some of our own, our PRC radios and all. They had a lot of our stuff in there and our grenades were in there. So what I did was it was all set up. So they were gone. So what I did was I thought, you know, I've got to destroy this. This is what sappers did. They went in and destroyed. They were engineers. They were taught in Australia, but I was taught in the States. So I went in, I had the guys give me some C4, and I just blew that whole son of a bitch up and sunk the whole thing, and we got out of there. But that's the one that I thought, I'm not going to make it home. So I'm just, I might as well just do my job and just stay here, because they're going to surround it. Mm-hmm. They're going to surround it. But something called them, and they were freaking gone, but that one guy stayed in there. That one little guy stayed in there, you know, and I had to be very careful, you know. You know, I didn't know, I could see, I mean, the room was probably, I'd say, maybe 10 by 10, maybe. They had cots in there, and they had all the maps and little things on there. And I thought, you know, this is their headquarters. I'm done. Just do your job. If you go, you know, you go. You know, you're not, you know, that's just the way it is. But when I took him out, and that was, I thought, damn, I'm out of here. But I grabbed what I could, and I was gone. And then when I got back, whatever I gave them, 
I didn't know what it was. I didn't care. I just did my job. And I said, what's next? You know, I said, that's not my job. That's your freaking job. Right. You know, that's incredible. That's any of the tunnel rats that are watching this and the sappers, they know what I'm talking about. A lot of them are just the colonels would say or captains on the, would say, okay, go down and see what you got. Just go down and see. They never were trained. I felt sorry for those guys because a lot of them didn't make it out because they didn't know what they had to look for. And they were wearing gas masks, you know, because they had gas. You can't wear a gas mask. I never wore one because you can't freaking see. A lot of them wore them when they went down. I said, I'm thinking, God damn it. Why didn't they train these guys? But they didn't. And I had never wore a gas mask. I was all in black. I had my 38 silencer and I had my Japanese bandit with me. And I had a small, I still have my little camera, a little small, you know, like the, you know, I spies, those guys like, uh, you know, they do. Roger Moore did, you know. Yeah, spies. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But they would take, every time I came out of a tunnel, they'd take the film on, put new on. They didn't even touch it. They touched it for me. And everything was done. And then, but that was the one that really, I thought, I'm dead. I'm freaking gone. It's over with. But then after that, when we went into North Vietnam, I was really pissed. I could give a who was in front of me. I'd take him out. I don't give a That's Didn't extraordinary, Nick. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah. You know, I heard you make mention of it a few times already, so I'm tempted to ask you what role faith played in your survival. You mean being a religion, faith, yeah. you're talking about? Yep. Well, you know, I'm a Catholic. I was a Catholic and very, very, I was pure Catholic. And because my dad was, my family came from Italy, you know, they were immigrants, and it was a Catholic family house, and I grew up that way. And in fact, I became an altar boy in the Army because I didn't get a chance to do it in the, in when I was home. So I became an altar boy. That was later when I was in Germany. That's a long story. But yeah, the religion played a big part of mine because I had my cross that my dad gave me because my dad was the only one that knew I was going. Nobody in the family knew but my dad because I talked to my dad about what he did when I went to service him. And my again, my code was his code. OK, and then he knew what I because I wrote letters. And but I wrote him a letter after I came back. So he wouldn't worry about when I was going. Yeah. So when I got back into Germany, he got my letter May 6th you know, and everything when I was home. But I don't know. You know, it's I still think about that stuff. I mean, I have my nightmares and two things that I get from there is you don't want to scare me. You don't want to come behind me and scare because I'll swing. I still have that habit of swinging and noises. You know, <laughs> sometimes in Fourth of July, my kids used to get a kick out of it. They say, OK, Dad, here's your mattress. Firecrackers are going off. You can land on that. <laughs> <laughs> I would hit the ground. <laughs> the first time I hit the ground, it was a July 4th party we had at my friend's house. And I was just turned 21 before I got married. And then I, they were laid off and I was on the ground. And the guy looked at us and said, said, what the hell are you doing? I said, don't even ask me. Don't do that behind my back again. And he goes, oh, that's right. You in the military. And I said, yeah. I said, I appreciate that, guys. But I got to where I can handle all that stuff. You know, it's taken me a while. The VA, let me tell you something. Our VA is 
fantastic. Mm-hmm. They were taking care of us like it was, you wouldn't believe. They called me to get my butt in there. They said, you get in there. You can talk now. You get in there. Because I couldn't talk until after 217. The only one that knew what I did was my dad. And he passed away at 218 at 99. So, I mean, that's how we worked it. And it's just, I mean, the old man upstairs, it was a deal in our family. And dad did the same thing he did. But that after a while, when the guys knew I did it, they knew to leave Corporal Sands. I mean, I was a private at that time. To leave Private Sands alone, just let him do his thing. They knew to walk away and leave me alone. Yeah. And after they knew, I said, you know, you don't want me up there. And then I said, okay, time, work, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. So it kind of blew past me a little bit earlier, but I'd love to maybe hear some stories regarding being a cryptographer. What's that like? And what was the experience like? A cryptologist was teletype. And I had a high rating on that. I had high clearance on that. And I would follow the Russians. When we had border patrol, I had to send everything back into headquarters. And even I did it in Vietnam too, because I learned that when I was in basic training, the guys taught me that in basic training because I had to know that because they knew where I was going and I didn't know over. They knew where I was going, but I had no idea I was going to that. Right. No idea at all. <laughs> but here's the one thing though, is that when the warrant officer picked me up and I asked him, I said, why the hell did you guys choose me? We said, well, we checked the records of your family because we knew your dad was Patton's right-hand man. And he saved Patton's life many times and he had no fear. He said, if you can do as half a job as your dad is, you'll come home alive. I said, well, she's great. Thanks for telling me that. I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, they worked a lot off Patton and my grandpa. Sure. You know, this is what they did. I'm thinking, okay, you guys got me. Now, what the hell is my job? When I got there, I'm going, thanks, dad. I appreciate it. <laughs> 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 but you know, it, it, for 45 years, I couldn't talk. So I played football. I played semi-pro football. And all of our coaches were from the Raiders. It was really weird. There were Raider mm-hmm. coaches, Raider team players and coaches, Ike Lasseter, Hugh Dixon, Charlie Smith, Art Shell. All of them were there. They were teaching us, you know. And, we, and we'd go scrimmage the Raiders all the time. Our teams would scrimmage them. But they found out that I was only 5'7", and I weighed 165 pounds. And I was really solid still. And so what they had me do is they had me, because we could take guys out on the knees. There was no ruling at that. So they had me taking guys out on knees so our guys can blitz. So I was taking them out on the knees, and I had no fear of these big guys. Who the hell cared? I just took their ass out, and that was it. And then I was a punt returner, too, and a kickoff returner. And then I lasted two years because my back and my knees, because I got injured in Vietnam and everything. When I was in Bavaria, I went down 60 feet down a cliff carrying our radios for for the coach to go back where the Russians were. Wow. But I got myself back and said, I wanted to play ball. I don't give a shit about her. I played ball. I didn't give a damn, you know, and I had no fear of anybody. So I, every time I felt the helmet on my hand, Hewitt Dixon and Charlie Smith says, okay, you got to take that number 77 out. He's not letting our guys get in there and blitz. He's your man. I take him out on the knees. And the guy would get up and he says, damn, you little shit. How'd you do that? <laughs> and, we, and we had only one bar mask. We didn't have these full. We had the one bar mask, you know. I broke my nose twice playing, and uh, so I just bandaged and went back to work, you know. <laughs> just back at it. Just back at it. No fear. <laughs> so then what did you do in the military after the war ended? When Vietnam ended? Yes, sir. Um, I went back to Germany. My main tour was Germany. That was my main tour. I went over there for school, and then that's where they picked me up, took me over in March of 1971. And then they brought me back there because that was set up by Colonel Bill McCaffrey, who's now passed away. Who's the one that gave me my rings, gave me everything, and said, I'm the one that sent you. Then I find out he was the colonel of 3rd Division where I was stationed. All this time, he knew where I was. And I didn't know who in the hell this guy was. 
you know, he came, he talked to me, he said, you did a hell of a job. He gave me my two rings, which was military and the Masonic, which I'm a Freemason. And the red means blood. And the rest of these means war and sacrifice and everything. And that's what he gave me. That was in 73. I'm an honorary Freemason with the Masonic temple, which I didn't know what it was. And I told him I couldn't wear it until 217 because it wow. had me 45 years. Yeah. That's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, you know, and things are coming back. And, you know, I still have nightmares. But the VA, like I said, these guys are fabulous. These guys have been on my back. They got me at 100%. They're taking good care of me. Damn good care of me. And, and I, you know, after 45 years, they called me and said, I got rid of this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Just go away. Colonel called me on my phone. He says, you better get your butt down here. I said, yes, sir. That was it. And I went down and checked in. And the guy in Napa, Dell, set me up. And the rest of history has been two years now. And they have been literally taking care of me. I mean, 100%. That's great. And I love these guys. Yeah. You know. That's wonderful, so, Nick. Any of the soldiers that are watching this, get your butt to the VA because they take care of you. Don't sit there and cry. Just go do it. Just yeah. go do it. I love that. Just That's great to hear. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. Join me next time as we resume our regular series narrative. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text history that's H I S T O R Y using the code 30605.